Psalm 80, for the director of music, to the tune of the lilies of the covenant, of Asaph, a psalm. Hear us, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim, Benjamin and Manasseh. Awaken your might, come and save us. Restore us, O God. Make your face shine on us, that we may be saved. How long, Lord God Almighty, will your anger smoulder against the prayers of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears. You have made them drink tears by the bowlful. You have made us an object of derision to our neighbours, and our enemies mock us. Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine on us, that we may be saved. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea, its shoots as far as the river. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its grapes? Boars from the forest ravage it and insects from the fields feed on it. Return to us, God Almighty. Look down from the heaven and see. Watch over this vine, the root your right hand has planted, the sun you have raised up for yourself. Your vine is cut down. It is burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us, and we will call on your name. Restore us, Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us, that we may be saved. This is the word of the Lord. And I hope you'll keep your Bibles open to Psalm 80 there. It's good to be with you this morning. We've prayed to hear and and understand and live God's word, but uh, would you pray with me? turn to it now. Our Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, Lord Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It is great to be with you this morning. Um, I know there are many connections between uh, Trinity and Wesley Prezi Vic Park. And I feel like I can say Wesley Prezi so that, you know, we're acclimating to Western Australia. We, we've learned to say that now. Um, and we at Trinity, we thank God for the connections between, between you and, and the college, uh, Scott and many others. Uh, and we've prayed for you as the church got started and, and has been going and growing. And it's a joy, it's a great encouragement to see and to hear about gospel growth uh, in and through you. 
here in Big Park. And uh, I do want to say, if, if you're someone who's thought about studying the Bible, I'd be happy to, to chat with you at some point. It's, it's great to gather with other Christians uh, on Sunday and any time. And, and one of the main reasons it's great to gather together is because we, we draw encouragement from one another, as we do. And I think one of the main, one of the primary ways that we encourage one another is as we bear one another burdens, as we, as we bear burdens, especially through prayer. Because prayer for one another is one of God's great gifts to us as his people. Because we all encounter burdens in life. And we all, as Christians, as humans, we all walk through one of life's great challenges. And that's suffering. I wonder if you have suffered recently or in years past. I don't know many of you, but I think you would probably agree with me that, that many or maybe even most of us have suffered in years past, recently. Maybe even suffered intensely. How did you respond to that suffering? How did you feel? What did you think? How did you pray? Did you pray? Well, in uh, the winter of 2020, I was suffering, uh, not because of COVID, but that June I had hastily uh, climbed up a ladder to get onto our roof and I fell uh, almost three meters from the ladder. I broke my heel bone and tore some tendons in my ankle. Thankfully, that was it. Uh, I endured a lot of pain and six weeks of, of crutches and a moon boot, and then lots of physio after that, and, and more physio still. Uh, my wife, Becca, I should say, endured a lot of me complaining, and uh, lots of extra burdens with the kids and around the house. See, I, I needed physical restoration. I needed to be restored. I wanted God to restore my heel and ankle as it was before. Our family also needed restoration. Our family needed to return to its somewhat normal rhythms. So I cried out to God. I, I complained. I lamented to God about my suffering. And I asked Him to heal me. This, this psalm today is a lament psalm. It's a complaint to God. But, but back to me for a moment. There was, there was more going on than just my need for physical healing. I needed more. God showed me that he needed to do more in my heart than he actually needed to do to my heel bone and to my ankle. I needed to be changed from the inside out. I needed not only healing, but I needed to pray for forgiveness. God used physical suffering, intense pain, to show me myself, to show me more of my sin. But even more importantly, he showed me more of his grace in that time. See, God brought suffering into my life to, to deepen my prayers. He, he used that time to change me. Now, that's a, a personal story, an illustration, just to get us thinking together about how we might respond to suffering. Maybe you have an event in your life going through your mind right now. There are many psalms like that where, where an individual is suffering. Psalms of David where he is suffering intensely and he, he writes out his cries to God. But Psalm 80 is, is a psalm that takes things a few steps further because this, this is a lament for a whole nation, the whole people of Israel crying out to God. 
It emerges out of their suffering as the nation of Israel. It's a prayer for God to restore the whole people of Israel. The psalmist, the the individual psalmist, prays that God would make his people like they were before when they lived in the land of Israel, enjoying his blessing. So as we walk through this psalm, I think you will hear that the, the circumstances may sound extreme to us. They may sound very very far-fetched from our experience, but I think you'll see that God has a lot to teach us through it. And I think this is the main thing that God wants to teach us, the main thing. Because God shows us His grace in Jesus, He wants us to pray to Him through our suffering, through our suffering. In Psalm 80, He teaches us how we can pray through our suffering. But because he's gracious to us in Jesus, God wants us to pray through our suffering, not to wait till we come out the other end. This psalm teaches us how we can do that. And I think there are four truths or takeaways that we'll see as we walk through the psalm. First, we must pray when we suffer, even if we suffer because of our sin. Second, we, we pray so that we learn to heed God's discipline. In our lives. Third, we we pray by remembering God's faithfulness. And fourth, we can do this. We can pray boldly because of Jesus. We can pray boldly for restoration because of Jesus. I'll I'll repeat those for you. Four, Four takeaways. First, we must pray when we suffer. Not wait. Not be quiet, but we must pray. Second, we pray so that we learn to Heed God's discipline for us in our lives. Third, we do this. We pray by remembering his faithfulness. And fourth, we can do this boldly. We can can cry out to God with, with no shame because of Jesus Christ. Now, um, before I continue, I want to say, to be clear about something if I can, what I am saying in this sermon. We we may suffer in this life because of our sin. It's a reality. We make sinful choices and we may suffer because of it. And when we do, we should repent of our sin. We should confess, cry out to God, ask for forgiveness and enjoy his forgiveness that we have in Jesus, like we prayed earlier today. But we may suffer not because of our own sin or sinful choices, but we may suffer just because we live in a fallen world. So what I'm not saying is that all suffering is tied to our sinful choices. Sometimes we suffer because we suffer, because we live in a fallen world. But what I am saying is that Psalm 80, this psalm is going to help us pray through our suffering, whatever the cause, whether it's because of my own sin or your own sin or or just because we live in a fallen world. This is a prayer that God has given to us so that he can walk us through our suffering, boldly trusting in Jesus. So let's look at verses 1 to 3. And I said, firstly, when we suffer, we must pray, even if it's because of our sin. When we're suffering, when we're going through a hard time, we we often want to focus on our miserable circumstances. We want to focus on what's happening to us. We tend to wallow in our self-pity. We can be slow to pray. We we may not even pray at all. But but this psalm, verses 1 through 3, teach us to do something very different. This teaches us whenever we suffer, especially if it's because of our sin, 
We should turn to God. We should cry out to him. Verse 1 says, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. This describes God's role as our Lord and protector, our leader and protector, just as Israel's. The Lord is my shepherd, David says in Psalm 23. The shepherd of Israel is enthroned upon the cherubim, it says in verse 1. This, this is an image of God's holiness. The, the Ark of the Covenant in the t- temple or the tabernacle, it had cherubim on either side of the Ark of the Covenant. And, and the wings of those cherubim, angel-like figures, the wings of those cherubim uh, folded in over the Ark, above the Ark, outstretched over the mercy seat. And, and the Ark, the, the covering, the top of the Ark there, the mercy seat, was understood to be God's footstool. His throne in heaven and, and the covering of his ark, his footstool. So this is an image for God's rule as leader. An image for his holiness as Israel's leader. As the ruler of the world. And so the psalmist prays and we pray to this same God. Listen, awaken your might and save us. In verse 2. This is a prayer for God to listen and to act. It's a bold and it's an honest prayer. Because it sounds as if God might be asleep at the wheel of the universe. If we're honest with ourselves, I think we'll, we'll, we'll confess that there are many times when we feel like God is not listening to our prayers. And God is not responding as we think he should. Or we may not even pray because we think God is already not listening. But nothing could be further from the truth. You see, our circumstances shouldn't prevent us from calling out to God. If one of God's children, we can can confidently, boldly cry out to Him for help. And so it's while we suffer, because we'll see there's intense suffering going on in this psalm. And it's while they are suffering, it's while we suffer, we cry out to God. Save us. One author says, God prefers an excess of boldness in prayer. An excess of boldness, not caution. Because we come to God as His children, not as applicants. We often wait to come to God, or we we think we need to get our application together, we need to dust up our resume a bit before we can come to God. But children just come to their parents. This is how we come to our God. We can pray this way because God is gracious. Look at verse 3 with me. Restore us, O God, let your face shine that we may be saved. This is the refrain, you heard it three, four times in this passage. Let your face shine upon us that we may be saved. The face of God in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the face of God represents his grace. The priests, you may know, the priests in Israel would would bless the people. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. When God is gracious to his people, it's like his glorious, radiant face shining out on them. But if his face was turned away, they were not experiencing his grace. The Israelites felt as though God's face had turned away from them. 
Why? What's happened? Well, this psalm was probably written at a time in Israel's history when, when a much larger nation, Assyria, had marched into Israel and destroyed their capital city, Samaria, had exiled thousands, thousands of people, sent them off to Assyria, and had moved in Assyrians and other nations to, to live in their homes. Thousands more had been killed. Starvation, exile, death. This is what has happened to Israel. Why? Wasn't Israel God's chosen people? Wasn't the nation of Israel his covenant people? What's happened to them? Well, we can read you know, all of First and Second Kings or First and Second Chronicles, but Second Kings 17 tells us what happened. It says, and this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against their Lord God. They did wicked things, provoking the Lord to anger. See, throughout much of its history, Israel had sinned, but then refused to repent. Had been warned by the prophets and refused to repent. So God disciplined his people. As a loving heavenly father, God disciplined his people. And so now, when this psalm was written, in this circumstance, Israel needed restoration. Needed to be returned to their state of blessing. So this is why the psalmist prays, and he leads the people, the whole congregation to pray, Restore us, O God. You hear that? Not me, but us. All of us. When we suffer, it feels like God has turned his face away. Feels like God has been anything but gracious to us. But but as Christians, as we as we boldly, humbly trust in Jesus, we can actually, with God's help, his, with His grace, we can see through that suffering. And we can look to Jesus and we can know that He's helping us, that He's gracious to us. Because we don't, thankfully, by God's kindness, we don't live in these same circumstances. I don't just mean we're not in exile, but I mean we actually live on this side, the other side of the cross. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son, full of grace and truth. The glory, the grace, the truth of God has been revealed, shown to us in the person of Jesus. We have an advantage over the people of Israel. A massive advantage. We can read the Gospels. We can encourage one another to look to Jesus and trust in Him. We can know that God does not hesitate to hear our prayers. He's gracious and merciful. So whenever we suffer, even if we suffer because of our sin, even if we're in the same kind of boat as the Israelites, suffering because of a series of sinful choices, refusing to repent, There's no need to wait to a better time to repent. Today is the day of salvation. So when we sin, God does not simply look the other way. He's, he's been gracious to us in Jesus, who's paid for all of our sins. But He can and he, he does bring suffering into our lives to discipline us. And our second takeaway is verses 4 to 7. We must pray... So that we learn to heed God's discipline. 
We must pray through our suffering so that we learn from God's discipline in our lives. Verses 4 to 7, God teaches us to pray through our suffering. And, and not only as individual Christians, though we should be praying, but, but together and for one another as the body of Christ. Look at verse 4, it may, it may shock you, it may surprise you. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? Now, I've just said God wants to listen, and now why is the psalmist saying, how long will you be angry with our prayers? Does not God want us to pray? Yes, yes, He does. But verse 4 is not saying that God does not hear honest, unre- honest and repentant prayers. It's not saying that God loves to have His humble people repent and come to Him. It's not saying that. What verse 4 is saying is that God does not listen to hypocritical, unrepentant prayers, selfish prayers, self-serving prayers. God, He he despises hypocritical prayers. This is when people uh, pray for blessing, but not for forgiveness. Pray for changed circumstances, but not for changed hearts. Israel did this repeatedly in its history. Practiced idolatry, then suffered and asked for restoration from suffering, but not for changed hearts. Those are the kind of prayers God is angry with. As he says in Isaiah 1.15, When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. See, Israel had broken their covenant relationship with God. And so now it was as if God had turned his face away. And verses 5 to 6 describe these terrible events, sort of events that, that sound like a siege in an exile. They were fed with the bread of tears. They've had suffering, tears to drink in full measure. God disciplined his people, and yet most of Israel still did not repent. So God judged his people. Once proud and glorious, once the the kingdom of all kingdoms, Israel was now divided, is destroyed and exiled. And so verse 6 says it's become a mockery. It's, It's something to laugh at. The other nations simply point at Israel and mock and laugh. Well, as Christians, um, we, can, we can actually experience something like this, I think. This sort of mockery. It's, it's not too different from today when well-known, influential Christian leaders or churches fall. We've, we've heard news before, and sadly we'll probably hear news again, of, of a well-known leader, a Christian leader, or a church failing. And, and the news, the media jumps on it, and, and the media reports it with vigor, and there's Social media uh, links shared and tweets sent, clicks and views about the rise and fall of another church. The the Mars Hill podcast was a phenomenon this way. When stories like these go public, what does the world do? Well, the world often, usually mocks the hypocrisy of the church. What do you do? We, we can be tempted to do the same. We can be tempted to shake our heads and say, the hypocrites. We think, there they go again. 
But that is not how Christians should respond. That's not how God's people should respond when our own fall and fail. When Christian leaders fall, when churches fall, that's a time when we pray the words of this psalm. Restore us, O God. It's, it's the body of Christ, one body of Christ. And when his people fail, it's, it's us, it's not them. We need to pray for restoration for us. We should lament like this psalm laments. Restore us, Lord Jesus. But we should also, I think, we should be careful not to ignore the warnings that, that come with, before those failures. We should not ignore the warnings like Israel did. We should be careful and, and, and repentant so that we can learn to heed God's discipline. There's one story in the Old Testament that jumps out to me that, that shows this failure to listen to God's discipline. And it's in 2 Chronicles Hezekiah, the the king of the southern kingdom, Judah, had sent a letter throughout the whole nation, even to the the northern tribes. And they had probably already experienced some of, of Assyria's invasions. They had felt some of God's discipline. But Hezekiah sent a letter that said, it said to these people, if you return to the Lord, if you repent, then your fellow Israelites and your children will be shown compassion. They will be shown compassion by their captors and they will return to this land. For the Lord your God is a gracious and compassionate God. The very next verse in 2 Chronicles 30 says that the people mocked. They laughed at the letter. They rejected the warning. And even after Assyria invaded the north and then the south, still many in Israel and Judah mocked the prophets. They rejected the very obvious warnings. We do not want to be like the Israelites. We don't want to be those Christians who simply we shake our heads when others sin. We want to heed God's discipline. We shouldn't mistake the purpose of this psalm. The purpose of this psalm is not so that we could learn how to complain biblically, but it's so that we would complain and lead to repentance. That we would lament and repent. If we complain about our sufferings, but we don't ask God for changed hearts, God, He can discipline us. So God, you see, He gave us this psalm to teach us how to pray. To pray according to His will. Not the kinds of prayers that God was refusing to hear, but but humble, repentant prayers. Prayers for changed hearts. And asking God for forgiveness, for for repentance, confessing our sins and asking for forgiveness is the starting point of prayer. It's the essential rule of prayer. All prayer to God, including laments, including complaints, including when you're crying out to God for healing for yourself or for your spouse or your child or for one of your fellow church members, all prayer should begin with asking God for forgiveness. See, I think God is actually, he's, he's given us somewhat of a, something of a, a diagnostic tool in this psalm. And, and I think this is the tool. 
if, if we see that, and, and others see, and, and they point out, this is usually how it works, that we're, we seem to be growing in humility. If, if we're seeing more of our sin and confessing our sins to the Lord as we pray, especially as we're suffering, I think God is kindly helping us learn to listen, to follow his discipline, to listen to the warnings and to repent. I think, I think humility is, is the indication. And often it, it will take others to point that out. Foolish is the man who says, I'm a pretty humble person, right? But the other side of that tool is this. If we're, if we're only complaining to God about our circumstances, if our consistent pattern is, is one of complaint, but not confession, we ignore our sins, it's likely we're not learning to heed God's discipline. We're not listening to the warnings. See, if we stay self-focused, if we think about our own problems, we won't grow in humility. We won't turn to the Lord. We'll, we'll actually grow in doubts. We'll actually wonder even more, why does God not hear my prayers? But if we, if we become Christ-focused, if we, if we become Jesus-focused, if we become other people-centered, then we'll actually see how God is answering our prayers. As we draw near to God, He will draw near to us. As we heed God's discipline in our lives and we draw near to Him, we'll, we'll also want to pray for one another. We'll want to pray, restore us. Um, but maybe you, this all sounds really interesting and helpful, I hope, but maybe you wonder how to get started especially when you're suffering. Maybe you know that you want to cry out to God when you're suffering, but, but how? You, you want to be honest with God, but you don't know what to say. What should we say? What should we pray when we suffer? Sometimes it's, it's like we can hardly even murmur a few words. Well, God is so gracious to help us. He's, he's actually given us the words to say to Him about Himself. The, the psalmist here models for us what to do is, is that we should pray remembering who God is. We remember God's faithfulness. So the words that we need to use in prayer are words about God. And that's our, our third takeaway. We pray through suffering by remembering God's faithfulness. Verses 8 to 13. Psalm 80 uses this image of a vine. Verse 8, you brought a vine out of Egypt and you drove out the nations and you planted it. This, this image of a vine, is, it's representing the, the people of Israel. And the psalmist uses it like, like some of the prophets do to help us remember God's faithfulness to his people. See, the vine represents Israel's history. God had saved his people from slavery in Egypt. Verse 8, you brought them out of Egypt. You drove out the nations, the books of Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. You planted them in the land, book of Joshua. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root. They, the people settled in the land. They grew and they multiplied. And it, 
It grew up to become this huge plant that covered from the Mediterranean Sea to the Euphrates River. It's, it's an absurd image. Can you think of a grapevine that, that covers multiple nations of the earth? No, it's, it's unrealistic. But it's, it's an image to stress the extent of God's faithfulness to his people. This is how gracious God was to Israel. I wonder if you've seen a, a beautiful vineyard just before harvest. The kind uh, you might find in the Swan River Valley or Margaret River. You know, the bright Western Australia sun beaming down onto those beautiful green vines. Full of grapes that are ready to be picked, ready to be gathered, ready to be made into the best possible wine. Now imagine that vineyard has actually reached out over all of Australia. Absurd. It's such an amazing vine because it's such an amazing farmer, God the gardener. This is what God did for Israel. and This is what Israel was meant to be like. The people were meant to be a fruitful people. Loving God, loving neighbor, full of justice and righteousness. Love for God, love for neighbor. But what's happened? Instead, Psalm 80 says, Israel now looks like a burned out, destroyed vineyard. Verse 12, you've broken down its walls so that all who pass by can pluck its fruit. The boar ravages it. All that move in the field feed on it. Verse 16, it's been burned down with fire. It's been cut down. This is an image of the kind that sadly we know in Australia of of a burned out, destroyed vineyard by a bushfire. Even the best vineyards don't stand a chance against the worst bushfire. Verses 12 to 13 show us that it's, it's God who has done this. God, the loving, kind farmer who made them the best vine, is actually the one who's brought the suffering. You see this in verses 8 to 12. You brought out a vine. You drove out the nations. You cleared it. Verse 12 Why then have you broken down its walls? It's God who has brought the suffering. God is the one who gives and the one who takes away. So the psalmist asks an honest question. Our our cries to God should be fully honest. Notice the honesty. Why have you done this? And, And I think this is not an ask, this is not a request for an explanation. This is This is deeply grieving that God is the one who's brought this suffering. But I don't want us to miss this. Can you, and I hope we feel this, what's going on in this psalm. He says clearly that God has done this. He's the one who's brought this suffering. But in this very same psalm, he's crying out to God, remembering God's faithfulness. He's calling out to God, the same God, for restoration. See, the Bible records story after story of God's intervention into his people's lives, his salvation, so that we learn to trust him, especially when we're, when we're doubting, especially when we're devastated. It's, it's when we're in the valley of the shadow of death. This is when we remember his faithfulness. And as we do, he leads us into repentance. And he could bring us restoration. So if you need help 
getting started in praying to God, especially if you're suffering, I, I encourage you just read about his faithfulness. Pray back to him what he's said about himself, about his faithfulness. Earlier, I mentioned that I was in a, a valley when I broke my foot. Uh, and, but it was in that difficult season that God deepened my prayer life. So in between the complaints and the, the why me moments, he taught me to remember his faithfulness to me. How kind he had been to me. And, and as he did that, as I prayed, he, he softened my heart a bit. And a bit more. And, and it was God, his, it was His Spirit who helped me become aware of, of some sin in my heart that I needed to repent of. But that didn't happen after I could walk. That happened when I couldn't walk. While I was sitting on the couch, complaining to Becca. That's when God did that work. So it's while we suffer, it's, it's while we're in the valley, we cry out to God, we remember His faithfulness. And so, it's for good reasons. A friend has called that experience my Damascus roof experience. God disciplined me because He loves me, but because He loves me, He reminded me of His faithfulness. His faithfulness through Jesus. And it's remembering His faithfulness that helps us to learn to pray. It helps us to heed His discipline. And so when the Spirit prompts us, we don't wait, we just pray. We cry out to God. And finally, we can do this boldly. We can pray boldly. We can cry out, save us, because of Jesus. Verses 14 to 19. When we suffer, we pray boldly for restoration because it's, it's been provided to us in Jesus and His cross. So if, we, if we're trusting in Jesus, we can actually see a gospel link in this section of the psalm. And we can also learn to pray Deep and honest prayers. First, some more deep honesty uh, comes in verse 16. Now, um, the NIV, which was read, which is a great translation, and it's, it's very helpful. Uh, it says that in verse 16, at your rebuke, your people perish. It sounds a bit more like what's been going on already, that God's people are suffering. But there's another possible translation, and I say this because you may have a different version, like the ESV, that has something like, they've cut down the vine, may they perish at your rebuke. It's, it's I think, ESV a little closer. It's a tough translation problem. It's not that your Bible is wrong. It's just that honest, godly people aren't sure exactly how to phrase this. But I think what it's saying is it's, it's an honest expression of, of anguish and of God's desire for justice. We can actually read about this in the, in the Psalms, like Psalm 137. It's, it's, it's vivid, terrible, awful imagery and language, but it's, it's expressing the, the honesty that comes in suffering when you've been exiled from your country, from your home. As Christians, we can cry out for justice too. We should. We should pray for God to make all the wrongs right for God to make bring his enemies under Jesus' rule. But we should also remember that we live on, as I said, we live on this side of the cross. We, we've seen the full answer. We know that Jesus died not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. 
So we can, we can pray for our enemies to come to know the, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. We can pray for our persecutors, as Jesus taught us. And so we can pray honestly and boldly like this psalm, but, but we pray in such a way that we remember what God has already done for us in Jesus. So as we pray, as we, as we cry out to God with his faithfulness in mind, he, he actually shapes our prayers so that they align with his will. And so now we can see the, the gospel link in this psalm. In verses 14 and 17 and 18, the psalmist says, turn again. He wants God's faithfulness to come again to his people. He says, the vine, the stock your right hand planted, the son who you've raised for yourself. Remember, the vine is Israel, remember? The son, the son probably represents the king, the Davidic king of the people. In the past, God had redeemed Israel. He had installed King David over his people. God had been faithful to Israel, the vine, in the past, and he'd been faithful to the son, to the king in the past. And this is the prayer for a, for a new king to come and to be leading God's people. And verse 17 says, let the, the hand of the man of your right hand, your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you've made strong for yourself. This, the psalmist is crying out for a new king to be raised up to lead God's people. But we know from the Old Testament as you read Kings or Chronicles, you know that, that even the best kings were a mixed bag. There were some who follow in the, the footsteps of David who don't commit idolatry. But even they are sinful. Even they are in need of repentance. In need of forgiveness. So Psalm 80 shows us this dynamic in the Old Testament. That there's a need for a new people, but there's a need for a new king. A new king who's leading a new people. A renewed people. So now we have our gospel link. See, God answers our prayers for restoration in the person and the work of Jesus. And, and some of the language we've heard about God in this psalm is actually used of Jesus in the New Testament. In, in John's gospel, Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. He's also, he calls himself the son of man. He's the son of man who who lays down his life, who's crucified, who's then raised on the third day. And in John 15, as was read earlier, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. I am the vine, you are the branches. We are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And, and that's, that's always the verse that jumps out to me. We can do nothing apart from Jesus. Christians, we, it, we, we cannot even lament. We can't complain to God faithfully apart from Jesus. We can't find forgiveness of our sins. We can't repent from our sins apart from Jesus. We cannot find restoration apart from Jesus. But we can repent because of Jesus. We can find restoration because of Jesus. We can pray for one another. Restore us, O oh God, because Jesus is the true vine. 
Jesus is the one who lays down his life for his friends, as he says in John 15. Jesus is the one who has a perfect, holy, loving relationship with the Heavenly Father, who, who brings us into a relationship with the Heavenly Father. Jesus, the true vine, is the one who loved us and gave up his life for us. And it's in his name that we pray. It's in his name that we pray prayers, even prayers like this one. So, if you're not a Christian, if you're listening in today and you're kind of wondering what all this is about, I encourage you just to consider your life. How are you going? How do you go when you suffer, when you have a hard time? Who do you look to? Who do you talk to? Where do you turn? Psalm 80 shows us, it shows you that, that humans can endure terrible suffering and grief, can encounter terrible times. If you're not a Christian, do you feel you have the resources to, to, to walk well through those times? If you're not a Christian, do you, do you feel that you have an answer for suffering? Jesus says that no person can do anything apart from him. And that includes forgiveness of sins. No one can find forgiveness except through Jesus. No one can find help except through Jesus. He's the one who can lead you into eternal life. He's also the one who can comfort us, who can visit us, who can comfort you through suffering. He's the one who can bring you into the presence of your Creator, it's Jesus. Jesus is the true vine. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And so for all of us, it's trusting in Jesus is what counts. Trusting in Jesus is a wonderful thing because when we know Jesus, we know that our sins are forgiven. And then when we know our sins are forgiven, we can boldly cry out to God in our worst times, in our worst moments, even after our worst sins, we can cry out to God just in that moment, trusting in Jesus. And so we should, whenever we suffer, we should pray. We pray through our suffering and we look to Jesus, the true vine. We boldly, confidently, humbly pray, restore us, O God, restore us because of Jesus, the true vine. Restore us for his sake. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Jesus. We thank you that because of Jesus, we can cry out to you in his name and ask for help in times of need. We pray that you would help us to heed your discipline in our lives. We pray you'd help us to turn away from our own sin we pray that you would help us even in our, our worst suffering to turn to you in the name of Jesus and to cry out not only for ourselves but for one another. Restore us, restore us, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.